Thanks, Paul. If you'd like to take out your Bibles, we're continuing to go through 2 Timothy uh, this morning. I'll read the passage for us, uh, pray and preach. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 6. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, Sorry, it's 1984. (laughs) For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about uh, about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Heavenly Father, we uh, have uh, sung this morning about seeing uh, Christ, seeing the cross of Christ, seeing the body um, not on the cross but risen. And we pray that as we uh, see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in your word this morning, you would help us to uh, see him more clearly, to love him more dearly and to follow him more nearly. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The very life of the Church of England is at stake and nothing else. Take away the gospel from a church and that church is not worth preserving. A well without water, a scabbard without a sword, a steam engine without fire, a ship without a compass and rudder, a watch without a mainspring, a stuffed carcass without life. All these are useless things, but there is nothing as useless as a church without the gospel. And this is the very question that stares us in the face. Is the Church of England to retain the gospel or not? I didn't write that. (laughs) So wrote the great evangelical bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, in his classic 1867 essay, why were our reformers burned? Um, his basic argument, and if you've never read it, what's, what's, what's your education been going? What's been happening the last few years at college? <laughs> if you, you must. You must read it. His basic argument is that our reformers, the great Hooper, Ridley, Latimer, Cranmer, they died for the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. And they died for the doctrine of the Lord's Supper because they humbly Uh, but resolutely lived and died for the gospel. 
They treasured the heart of the gospel, that Christ's full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice, oblation and satisfaction for sin. They loved it. They treasured it. They died for it. Thankfully, I think in Newtown, 2000, what are we up to? 18. The chances of being uh, burned at the stake, hung, drawn and quartered, sent to the rack, seem pretty uh, remote. I'm thankful for that. However, I wonder if in 100 years or so, if another classic essay was written by the great J.C. Lone or J.C. Leslie, <laughs> why were our evangelical churches ridiculed so roughly in the media? Why was the Sydney Diocese mocked so badly? Why did our Moore College graduates suffer so much in their ministries? Well, hopefully that classic essay would likewise say something like, it was because they humbly but resolutely lived and died for the gospel. The passage uh, we had read for us, it was great to have 1 Corinthians 15 read as well, but the passage we had read for us today is an exhortation to that end. Last week we uh, heard how Paul prayed uh, for Timothy, his dear son, remembering his tears, remembering his faith. And this week we hear Paul's exhortation to Timothy, building off the back of that, that he might exercise that faith for the sake of the gospel. He calls out to Timothy in verse 8, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And because later in the letter he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life will uh, be persecuted, will will suffer for the gospel. Well, there's a sense in which Paul calls out to us here in Newtown today, this morning, will you join me in the suffering, humbly and resolutely for the gospel? And he gives us three different perspectives on gospel ministry in this little passage this morning, the courage for gospel ministry, verses 6 to 8, the content of gospel ministry, 9 to 10, and the conviction of gospel ministry, 11 to 14. Um, Now, I mean, I almost included verse 6 in last week's sermon. I came to the conclusion that uh, fitted a bit more neatly with this passage today. Um, I also came to the conclusion that it gave me an extra week to make sense of it. Um, But to be, if I'm perfectly honest, I'm still not sure I entirely understand uh, what Paul means by the gift of grace, a gift of God here. Um, It might mean uh, the gift of Timothy's faith, which he's just spoken of and he's building on, that Timothy might fan into flame that faith and keep uh, exercising that sincere faith that he's been talking about. I'm not sure that quite uh, sort of seems to fit with the laying on of hands uh, or the discussion uh, about the Spirit in verse 7. What else might it mean? It might mean the the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, that Timothy might fan into flame uh, the Holy Spirit, being filled with, keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, There's there's a number of times in the book of Acts uh, where the Holy Spirit is given through the laying on of hands. This could quite naturally make sense of verse 7. But I think the the sort of big problem with this uh, take on it is that Paul has said something in the previous letter to Timothy, Um, He said something in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. This is what he said. He said, Do not neglect your gift, which has been given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, it probably means something like uh, Timothy's commissioning, his uh, ordination into the gift of ministry which God has given him. And because it's God who's given him this gift, then there's a certain power, a certain love 
and a certain self-discipline which comes with it. Um, Perhaps you've got a take on that verse. You can come and inform me afterwards. That's what I think. But the basic point is that God is the giver of the gift. And it's God that stands behind Timothy, giving that gift. The creator of the heavens and the earth backs him. The redeemer of mankind stands with him. And so verse 8, Timothy ought not to be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of Paul, his prisoner. I mean, plenty of others have bailed uh, on the Lord and on Paul. Verse 15, um, everyone in the province of Asia, including uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes, and some, like Onesiphorus, in verse 16, have stood firm and have not been ashamed. But this, this basic point extends out to us too. It extends out to us today, whether we've ordained, commissioned for ministry or not. God is for us. Who can be against us? Who can bring any charge against those God has chosen? Who shall separate us from the love of God? That's amazing. The beautiful promises in Romans chapter 8. And the answer to that question is that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think if, if we really know that, then there really is no good reason why we should be ashamed of our Lord or his teaching on marriage, his teaching on hell or anger or whatever the case is. If we really know that, that God is there, he's for us, then there's uh, really no reason why we should be ashamed of Paul or his teaching on sexual ethics, men's and women's roles or whatever the case is. We might suffer socially, politically, ecclesiastically or any other kind of lee. Uh, But God is for us, and so we can have courage in gospel ministry. And I love uh, what Paul does next. You know, sometimes after heavy uh, doctrinal reflection, Paul just sort of breaks out in doxology and praise, those sort of little beautiful moments. Or as we saw last week, uh, Paul's about to write his last words to Timothy, and and his um, prayer life just bubbles over. Well, here when he says uh, the word gospel... Um, It's similar. It's like he needs to just take a tangent. He needs to pause and just be awestruck for a little bit. He needs to uh, contemplate the content of the gospel. Um, Later in this uh, letter, he talks about my gospel and he gives it a clear definition. We've seen in 1 Corinthians 15, even this morning, a definition given for the gospel. Here he gives some contours for the gospel. In fact, the way that it's um, sort of phrased and set up with little parallels, it's like an early piece of catechetical um, lesson that he's passing on. It's quite an interesting little phrase that he's he's just pondering on. And he says in verse 9 that it's God who saved us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And that's, that's good, isn't it? Just to sort of ponder and be awestruck by that for a moment. But I wonder how often we, we, we forget it. We sort of hear those familiar words that just run past by. Yeah, we know that. Tick, let's keep going. We might know that in our heads. We might study it lots in our lessons. But we don't just sort of stop and then take it on board again afresh. We might get credits, distinctions and high distinctions uh, in our work here at college, but credits, distinctions and high distinctions in our work, indeed credits and distinctions and high distinctions in any of our good works, 
They're not the basis for any of our salvation. And yet, uh, how often do we find ourselves in the position of the, the older brother in Jesus' parable, justifying ourselves before God quietly in the, the deep recesses of our heart on the basis of how good we've been or how bad we haven't been? How often do we find ourselves uh, playing comparison Christianity, those little pangs of envy for those who are better than us, and that sort of sudden leaps of judgmentalism for those who are worse than us. And Paul says it's not about better or worse. It's not about good or bad. These things don't save. Now, the central content of the gospel is grace, he says. Verse 9 again, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And verse 10 This grace has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who's destroyed death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. It's it's just amazing. I mean, I've sort of raced through reading it, but we could sort of spend hours just looking at this. It is amazing. Grace then, grace now. In eternity past, God the Father planned to show Mark Ergy his infinite and precious favour in the person of his Son, Christ Jesus. And in time, Christ Jesus appeared, destroying death and bringing life and immortality for Mark Ernji. Just think about how uh, short and how frail and how messy and how broken your own life is. Think about what it's really like. And think about God's grace for you today. God's grace and favour for you. Before the world began, for you. His grace for you thousands of years before you were born. His grace for you at the incarnation. His grace for you at the cross. His grace for you at the resurrection. All the seed, the first song we sung. His grace for you in all those places that we sung about. And how that amazing grace came to you through the means of the gospel. Indeed, all that God has done to you has come to light through someone's feeble, very human, hopefully loving, probably stuttery words. Someone's treasure in jars of clay. I wonder what goes through our head when we uh, think about um, doing evangelism. I use that phrase deliberately. Well, it just popped into your head then. I've come back from overseas. I've been struck by um, all the sort of um, interest in in new strategies and um, systems for church growth that are kicking around the place. I just wonder, what about just remembering the gospel? I know it sounds a bit sort of false dichotomy-ish, but really, it's really good to do lots of those things count things, measure things, enumerate things, systematise things, come up with a billion M's. (laughs) But I want to say these things are good, but it's no good, it's not good when we're more excited about them than the gospel, when we're more excited about portfolios than people, when we're more excited about systems than souls. It's worth asking, what is the base note in our ministries? What's the thing that's really driving us? What's the thing that gets us excited 
and motivates us to do all those good things? Is it the gospel? Is it the truth that Paul's on about that motivates him? Richard Baxter in his um, wonderful little book, The Reformed Pastor, says, have you read that too, J.C. Rolls? Okay, it's a work to do. He says, how hard do we expostulate with them to wring out of them a few penitential tears, thinking about someone who's trying to convert, while yet our own eyes are dry? Alas, how we set them an example of hard-heartedness while we're endeavouring by our words to melt and mollify them. Oh, if we did but study half as much to affect and amend our own hearts as we do of those our own hearers. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we just need to be a bit more amazed this morning with grace ourselves. If we just need to take a little bit of stock, time out perhaps to reflect on God's goodness to you and me and his grace and the gospel which has all been communicated to us. I know I do. <laughs> Preaching the sermon, gee, I need to do this. Because that, that wonderfully um, complex, inexhaustibly complex, but yet beautifully simple message that can um, convert a child, well, that's what has convinced Paul the gospel message is important. The importance of gospel ministry. That is what's got him going. He knows in verse 11 he's a herald of that, an apostle of that, a teacher of that gospel. And so in verse 12 he says, that is why I'm suffering like I am. He says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, five times he's received 40 lashes from the Jews, three times beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times shipwrecked. He's faced danger on every side. He knew hunger, he knew thirst, cold, nakedness. It makes us look like pussycats here in Newtown. It was Apostle Paul Contra Mundum. And yet he was not ashamed, verse 12, because he knows in whom he's believed. He knows who this is. He knows who stands behind him, supports of salvation. And this little phrase here teaches us a really good lesson, actually, about the nature of faith and belief. See, uh, mere uh, knowledge about the gospel um, simply can't sustain us for a lifetime of gospel ministry. It's one thing to know a gospel outline and to articulate a gospel outline, but it's a very different thing to take refuge in it to rest in it in the midst of, say, a pastoral crisis, to find shelter in it when Satan tempts you to despair. When the world uh, caves in around you, genuine faith is what will support you. Resting, leaning, trusting, sincere faith. And it's for this reason that John calls faith the victory that overcomes the world. And it's for this reason that Paul says to Timothy, and by extension to us today, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Now, obviously, we haven't heard uh, everything that Paul taught Timothy, uh, but we've got much in Paul's letters that Timothy uh, probably wouldn't have heard himself. Uh, But we need to keep it. What we've heard in uh, Corinthians this morning, what we've heard in 2 Timothy, we need to keep it. If we're convinced of gospel ministry... We need to guard that good deposit that is the apostolic gospel. And if we're convinced of gospel ministry, we need to guard that apostolic deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. 
Because as Paul knew, and as Timothy knew, and as we need to know now, as Paul wants us to know this very morning, the very life of our churches is at stake. How much do we treasure the gospel? That's the big point. Simple. There's lots of that for us, even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand at the end of a long line of brothers and sisters um, who humbly but resolutely lived and died for the gospel. We think of the noble army of martyrs from the early church to the church of the Reformation, to those around the world who live and die for the gospel even today. And we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to give us courage in the gospel, knowing that you stand with us, to give us deep appreciation for the content of the gospel, knowing that grace is truly amazing, and to give us conviction of the gospel, knowing that it is our only hope. Help us to know that your church is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us to live and die for the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.